are finished with February. We're already in the third month. We're already in March. We're finished with February, and it means we're also today wrapping up our series, Hashtag Relationship Goals. Now, if you're sitting here and you're like, I've got no idea what that means, like, why is there a hashtag in there? It is because it is a social media thing. So either you've been asleep for a couple of years, or you haven't been connected to a smartphone for a couple of years, but the hashtag movement is kind of like a way to, to group ideas or images together. So if you take a picture of something, of a, of a relationship, you had a nice picnic and you do hashtag relationship goals and someone else searches for that word, that hashtag, billions of people around the world are posted with an image of a relationship with that same hashtag, all of the images will appear and you can browse through that. And we started this series because we said often the world shows relationships to us in a way that looks really pretty, but it's not really true. You see, the, you see the beauty, you see the little shell, but you don't see everything that's going on inside. So we said we're going to look at three issues that we face in our relationships and three foundations that will help us to build healthier relationships. And the first issue, if you missed one of our messages, by the way, you can find it on our website, on podcasting, on Spotify, on um, YouTube, it's everywhere, video and audio, so you can find it and go and listen to it again. But this is what we said, because we are broken people, relationships will always be messy. And the only way that we can cut through the mess and see the beauty of the other person without just seeing the mess they make is to have grace in our life that we can only learn from God because He had grace with us. And once we learn that grace from Him, we learn how to use that grace and cut through the mess of our relationships and see the beauty of the person. The second topic we spoke about is that often we're in a relationship, still we feel lonely, still we feel empty. Why is that? Because no single human on earth can meet every need we have. And therefore we said if we wanna have healthy relationships, we cannot have unhealthy expectations of people. So we need Jesus in order to fill the deepest needs of our souls that human beings can't. That was our first two topics. But today we're at the third one and the last one. And before I share more about this, I want you to quickly turn to a person sitting next to you. And I want you to quickly tell each other, what is your definition of love? If you're watching online or you're in the nursery, turn to someone in the nursery. Tell them if you're watching online, just type in the comments. Give us a bit of a definition of love. So quickly tell someone sitting next to you. Give them your definition of love. So something interesting happens whenever I ask people, give someone definition of love. Some people are like, two words, they're done. Love is me. <laughs> Other people have a very long extended run. It's like, let's get all the dictionaries in the world and I give you about a half an hour speech. But here's the interesting thing. Each one of you will probably have said something that can be connected to the people sitting next to you. There's some kind of universal thing about love that although we might not know exactly how to describe it, we can link it to each other. But at the same time, there's a very good chance that each one of you had a different definition of what love is. And here's one of the realities. There's many things that shapes our definition of love, that shapes our understanding of love. And one of the, 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 like the first things that shape our definition of love is often our parents' relationships. 
And that could be a really good definition of love or it can be a really bad definition of love. I was privileged to have a good definition and this is one of my um, strongest memory of my parents. They were now on the 12th of January married for 40 years. And what I've always seen them done since the day I can remember till today is whenever they're walking anywhere to church, to the shops, like whenever they're next to each other, they're always holding hands. It's like one is blind, not really blind, but it seems like one is blind and the other one has to lead them. But if you ask me love, I'm like, that is love. They're always close, they're always connected, they're always together because of the example I saw. And you might have had some good examples in your life, you might have had some bad examples, but what is worrying me is that in the 21st century, the thing that is shaping our definition of love the most is twofold. It's actually onefold. It's media, social media, the hashtag relationship movement, everything you see on YouTube, everything you see on, on Instagram and on Facebook, and nowadays it's TikTok and all kinds of stuff that I cannot even keep up with. But that shapes our definition because people post all kinds of things that we look at and we think that must be love. But a force we cannot underestimate, probably the biggest influencer of our definition of love is Hollywood. We all watch movies. When Valentine's Day comes around, you go and you dig really deep for The Notebook. In my opinion, The Notebook is probably the, love, the best love movie ever. If you're not, not married, you watch The Notebook and you cry your eyes out because you wish you could have a relationship like that. If you are married, you watch it and you still cry your eyes out because you wish your relationship could be that good. And if you have been married for a long time, you still cry your eyes out because when they die together at the end, you're like, that is my wish, I want to die that way. Lana always has this fight, like, who's going to go first? She says, it's her, I'm, it's like me, and then we settle, okay, we'll do it together. It's fine. But, um, and it's just so beautiful. But there's all kinds of different illustrations through Hollywood. There's really good ones, there's bad ones, there's funny ones, there's serious ones. But often, our definition of love shaped by, by Hollywood is twofold. One, it is a feeling, and two, it is sex. So it is a feeling, it is that moment when, when the boy and the girl gets together and then the little leg kicks up, they're standing on a cobblestone street, like on high heels, you don't know how they're walking, rain is pouring down, but the little leg kicks up the moment he gives her a kiss. Yolanda normally starts clapping hands just like randomly and I'm like, come on, what's going on with you? But she's clapping hands, she's so excited, you can feel the emotions in the air. That's often our definition. Love is a feeling that I'm experiencing, it's something you do to me in a good way is those butterflies, it's the goosebumps, it is, it is the little leg kicking up, it is all of those good things and I think that is love. Or I think that sex is love because that's also what TV shows us. If you love someone, even if you just met them five seconds ago, you jump in bed and then everything is fine. But the moment when people cannot give me what I think I need from them when they do not meet my emotional needs, when I don't get something from them, then suddenly everything is gone. There's a lot of fish in the sea, relationships end, even in Hollywood, famous relationships. And people are like, why did this end? Because the definition of love is wrong. If our definition of love is that love is a feeling that needs to make me feel good, my relationships cannot last because I go into them with the wrong expectation. So the moment I don't feel good anymore, the moment that person doesn't feed me the good, right feelings I want, that's the moment I walk out because I, I'm, I'm disappointed. And today in the third part of our series, the problem we're talking about today is that relationships are more than a feeling. Love is more than a feeling. And we read a couple of weeks ago 
the first week, a beautiful definition of love that um, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, where he said love is patient and kind, and it's, it's really nice. But, but we kind of talked about that that list is probably a reaction to what we experience. I am not always patient because you drive me insane because relationships are messy. I struggle to be kind because you squeeze the toothpaste at the wrong place again. So it's almost like that beautiful list is a reaction to not act the way I want to act. But what we're going to read today is not a reaction, but it's kind of like the beginning of love, the start of it. It's, it's source. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to 1 John 4. We're going to read from verse 7 to 12. Um, I'll be reading from the New International Version. Um, so New Testament starts with four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The four Gospels are books that tell the story of the life of Jesus. So John, one of the disciples, wrote down his account of the life of Jesus. That's the Gospel of John. But then right at the end of the Bible, we get three really short letters that the same John wrote, and that's 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. So don't get confused. We're first going to read from 1 John now, at the end of your Bible, and then later we're going to move to the Gospel of John. But 1 John 4, I'm also going to put it on the screen for you. 1 John 4 from verse 7, it says this, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. That's what we're going to read this morning. When I read this, I see a beautiful definition of love. And what I want to do this morning is we're going to do two things. First, I want to give you a definition of love. Because if we've got the wrong definition of love, we will always have a wrong expectation of relationships. And this is a Christian definition of love. If you're not a Christian and you're like, you're like Louis, but I'm not a Christian, so what does this have to do with me? I want to invite you to still listen because this is probably the purest form of love you will ever hear. And this might just guide you to a place where you're like, I need to consider if this is not maybe where my life should go. So we're going to first do a definition of Christian love, and then we're going to move on, and then we're going to say, how do I apply it to my relationships? Because we always want to do this practical, right? doesn't help that it's a theory and we cannot apply it. But this is a basic definition for me. For a Christian, love is not optional, but it is my identity. It is not optional. I don't choose. It is my identity. Why? And there's five things that I find in 1 John 4. If you want to make notes, these are five good points that you can write down that I think is so important. The first thing is, why is this, my, why is this so important? Why is it not op- optional? Because God is the very start of love. God is our definition of love. And it starts out in verse 7 by saying, let's love one another for love comes from God. Love is not something we have to figure out. How do I describe this? How do I define this? We look at God and we see the perfect image of love. When you want to define love, you cannot start anywhere else except for with God. Because anywhere else you will start will always lack the very essence of love. 
But why did I say it's not optional? It says, let us love. And then it continues to say, because those who love has been born of God and knows God, and who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So the second thing why I said it's not optional, the second reason is because love is a command or an obligation that we have to stick to as Christians. There's a direct line that's drawn, knowing God equals love. Not knowing God equals not love. So, so let me do this in a very simple and clear way. If you do not love people, you do not have God in your life, even though you might believe you do. Because very clearly John says, if you love God, you will love people. If you do not love people, it's because you do not know God. It is not an option for us. It's a command that Jesus himself spoke in John 13. So back to the gospel of John. In John 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He just washed their feet, an act of love that, only, that no one would do. Only the lowest of slaves would, were able to touch people feet, people's feet because it was unclean, seen as unclean. But Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. And then in John 13 verse 34, this is what Jesus says. He says, I give you a new command. Love one another as I have loved you. So, and, and by the way, this is not a new command. It's been in the Old Testament all along. But Jesus, I want to enforce this before I'm killed on a cross, before I'm taken back to heaven. I want to tell every follower of Jesus, I want to tell you that there's a rule you have to stick with, and that is you have to love the same way I loved you. A chapter on in John 14, Jesus kind of like just strengthens this in John 14 verse 15 by saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So there's this commandment of love because God is love. We have to do it. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep it. So if we don't keep the commandment of love, we're not Christian. So if you want a Christian definition of love, it is not optional for us. It can be optional for someone else, not for a Christian. The third thing that I see is in, in this passage is in verse 9 and verse 10, the most perfect example, a model of love. So this is what I love about God. And I said this last week as well. He doesn't require things of us that he himself are not willing to do. So when God says love, Jesus specified and it says, as I have loved you. And it's not just Jesus that loved us in a specific way. God himself, we read in verse 9, that God sent Jesus. So God sacrificed. He gave us a perfect example that love is not a feeling. Why do I say it's not a feeling? Because God didn't feel like we love him. Because it says in the very next verse, it's not that we loved him, but that he loved us. The Bible says he loved us while we were still sinners. While we didn't love God, he loved us. While we didn't love Jesus, he died in our place on a cross. So he gave us this perfect model of loving us despite us not loving him. He gave us a model of self-sacrificial love where Jesus talks about it in John 15. So in verse 13, he says, love, that's a command. Chapter 14, he says, um, obey my commands if you love me. And in chapter 15, he says there is no greater love, John 15 verse, verse 13, than laying your life down for your friends. So Jesus models love, not only is God our definition, not only do we have to do it, but he shows us how to do it. By, by laying his life down, by, do, by self-sacrificial love. Love is also an identity we wear as Christians. In verse 11, 
we read this. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, God's very nature, His essence, His identity is love. He created us in love. He acted throughout the, throughout the history of mankind in love to the perfect example of love where Jesus died on a cross. But if you ask any person who walked with Jesus, how would you describe Jesus? They would say, I will describe him as a man who had love like no one else. He would walk to a woman that was so sinful that they wanted to kill her by stoning her, by, by throwing stones at her, and his hand would reach out to her and pick her up. Jesus would walk under a tree, and there would be a man who cheated everyone out of money, and Jesus would take his hand and help him out of the tree and say, I want to eat with you. Jesus was the perfect example of love. It was his identity, and because we're followers of Jesus, it needs to be our identity. When you are in the store, when you're at work, when you're with your friends, they need to see a love in you so vividly that it is your identity that points back to the God from whom the definition of love sprouts. It's a natural overflow because he loved us. We now love others. We fill up with the love of God, His definition of love, to the extent that it overflows to the lives of other people. But lastly, it is also a witness to the world. In verse 12, it says, no one has seen God. People have seen Jesus, that's God in a human body, but no one has seen God in all His glory. But John says it so beautifully, where he says, but if you love other people, then God lives in us. So it's like he's saying, if you want your colleagues at work, if you want your colleagues, um, uh, your, the people who play sports with you, to see God, they're going to see him through the love in your life, through your identity of love. That's how they're going to see him. Jesus said as well that if we love one another, people will know we are his disciples. So when we talk about identity for Christians, it is not an option to love. It is a commandment. It is an identity. It is a marker. It is a witness to the world coming directly from God, from His heart, and from His model. It is different to the definition of the world. And that is what makes us unique. That is what makes us stand out in this world. If Jesus is our goal of love, and we have to stick to this, we cannot stop it, we cannot... Make this optional. How do we practically live love out? And here's the first thing. This is how we practically do it. Love is not a feeling. Love is a verb. The first thing we need to get is we need to make love a verb. So in Greek, there's different words to describe love, different kinds of love. But the most common word that is used is agape. But what's interesting is almost every time, and that is a noun form, an adjective, but almost every time Jesus speaks, and almost every time Jesus uses the word, he always uses it in verb form. When Jesus said, I give you a new command, love each other, is the word agapawa, so he turns into a verb. When, G, when, when we read in John, dear friends, lo, let's love one another, is agapua men. It is also a verb form in the plural. So not is it like, it is not this abstract thing that I cannot describe. It is not this weird feeling. It is something that I do. It's not something I feel. It's something I do. You feel being in love. That is that heartbeat that races a little faster. That is the butterflies. But love is not a feeling and, and being in love is part of love. I'm not taking it away. You should sometimes feel in love. But in love is not loving. 
Loving is a verb. It is something we do. Think about this for a moment. I've heard this so many times, and I spoke especially to married couples, and the, way, the, the marriage is like right at the edge of falling apart. And often these are the words I hear. I just do not love him, or I just do not love her anymore. And I'm like, was there a time when you loved each other? And they will be like, yes. Now let me tell you what happened between when they loved each other and when they don't love each other. Here's what happened when we, when we fall in love. The early days of love. I make love a verb. We go to the movies together. I buy her flowers. I tell her verbally that I love her. I was 16 years old. I met this girl at church. My dad is sleeping. He was also a pastor. So after the morning service, he went for a power nap. So I'm like, my dad will never let me go to her. So I jump on my bicycle. Farm, farms. It's far apart. I'm like 16 kilometers to her house. Some of you are cyclists. You're like, that's nothing. For a 16-year-old boy, cycling 16 kilometers, that was insane. But I got on my bike. My brothers are like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to go visit my girlfriend. I'm going right now. And I knew I was going to be in trouble. But you don't care because you make love a verb. I cycle. That is verbing. That's a new word I created is verbing. I ver I'm verbing love on that bicycle. My dad was so angry, he drove straight to the farm to pick me up, and he was verb verbing angry love, but, but that's okay. But that is what you do, right? You sit at the restaurant, you hold hands, you fight about who's going to pay the bill. You do stuff together because you make love a verb. Then life passes on, we stop doing stuff for each other, but we start asking, how do you make me feel and what are you doing for me? And I stop verbing love and suddenly I don't love you anymore. You see, often we want our, our emotions to follow our actions. We're like, when I feel like I'm loving you, then I will act that way. But most of the time, a lot of times, emotions follow our actions. Jesus even said this about money. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So where your money is, your emotions will follow that. If you invest everything in, in, in this hobby, your heart will be in that hobby. If you invest your money in God's kingdom, guess where your heart will be? In his kingdom. Your emotions follow your money. Your emotions follow your actions. Your verbing love. Often it's that way around. Not the other way around. Your relationships start going south. When we decide that we do not need to take God's command of love serious. Not an abstract noun. But a verb of love. I want to read you one of the most beautiful examples in the Bible of how to do this practically. In Ephesians 5, Paul writes a whole chapter about how a man and a woman should love each other. And maybe you've heard this. Women, the man is the head of the house. That's normally all we remember from that passage. I preached about this when I was still in seminary, and the professors didn't want me to preach about that scripture because they said that, that it is sexist, that it kind of like puts the woman down. And I'm like, dude, you clearly didn't read your Bible because that is not what this passage is saying. Because this is when Paul talks about relationships, and by the way, in first in chapter 5, it talks about, uh, about marriages. Then later, he talks about father-son relationships, how children should act towards their parents, how slaves should act towards their masters 
masters, a master towards his slaves. But here is the essence of everything that happens. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because Jesus is our definition of love, because he's our model of love, and because as a Christian, I take that seriously, I make it part of my life, and I live it out. Because of that, how do I love the other person? I submit to them. You're like, what is submitting? So I went to the Greek, and I'm like, what is this Greek word? I want to know. Because later on, it says the man is the head of the house, but then it says, Husbands, love your wife like Jesus loved the church. You should be willing to die for her. So, so he actually gives this whole list of how we should love each other and how children should obey their parents, how slaves should work hard and respect their masters, and masters should also respect their slaves. But everything comes from this line. Because of our love for Jesus, we should love each other a specific way. And that word that we translated as submit is in Greek the word he puts us to her. I don't always do these many Greek words, but they're so important. So Strong's Dictionary gives us a direct definition of this word. And I want you to hear what this direct definition is. This is, this is mind-blowing. Strong says the direct translation is to rank or place under. It's not someone placing me under them. That is narcissism. And there's a lot of narcissists in our world today. We are the generations of the most narcissists ever. Do you know why? Because we think that love is about what people bring to me. It's about how they make me feel. It's because the world is teaching us that it's about me, that it's about me getting to the top. It's me first and other people second. The Bible says, no, 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 this is love. Love means that you go and you deliberately place yourself under the other person. I don't love my wife anymore. What did you do? You probably put yourself on top. You probably decided that you're the most important thing. Instead of carrying her on your hands like the princess she was when you got that she is when you got engaged. I don't like my husband anymore. Why? Because you decided instead of placing him first and, and seeing him as the prince, the, the, the knight on the white horse, instead of doing that, you decided that he's going to be the garbage man and the guy who cuts the grass and the one who needs to do everything. We all do that because that's how the world teaches us. But Jesus gives us this upside down picture of a God who came and although we didn't deserve it, placed us so high that he died for us. We see this example where the only way a marriage would work is not doing it the way where the world says it's about my feelings and about me first and my needs, but where I come and I say, I choose, although I don't feel like loving you, although my emotions are not there, I choose to place you first. I choose to place you on a pedestal. In John 15, the piece I spoke about where Jesus said, there's no greater love than giving your life to other people. Jesus said it so clear, right? This self-sacrifice in love. You do not place someone above yourself without sacrificing something. Our egos, we have to sacrifice that. Our pride, we have to sacrifice it. Oh, our need to be on top, to be first, to be seen, to be accepted. We need to sacrifice that in order for us to slot in below other people. Love is a verb And that verb means that I'm willing to place myself under you, that I'm willing to sacrifice for you. 
You see, love can only work when I'm not my own first love anymore. You get that? Because most of us, are, we are our own first love. I love myself more than I love God. I love myself more than my children, my wife. That is because it's always about me, how I feel, the stuff I acquire, the way people put me on a pedestal. It is about me being first, and love cannot work that way. That is narcissism. Love is about placing other people first, taking me off the throne of my life, putting God back on the throne, and then out of that, helping people up onto the podium. Love is the biggest expression of unselfishness that the world has ever seen. We see so much selfishness every day around us in the way people do business, in the way people drive, in the way people queue in a simple line at the shops. Everywhere in marriages, there's so much selfishness and love is the most beautiful expression of that, that just wipes that out. Love drives out competition. My wife and I don't need to be in competition about who's first, who's more important, because I'm giving you that honor. I don't have to be in competition with a colleague at work because we're fighting about who's going to get the new promotion, about who's best, because I give you the honor of going first. That is love the way Jesus loved. That's self-sacrificial. It drives out competition. It brings healing. All that defensiveness where I always feel like I need to defend myself because whatever you're going to say is going to attack me, that defensiveness can die down because I put you first. And most of all, it ruins the enemy's plans because the devil hates it when people love the way Jesus loves. He hates it, and he doesn't want it. Get people to love the way the world says by placing myself first, and it leads to the breakdown of society, to the breakdown of, of marriages, to the breakdown of relationships, to the breakdown between parents and children, to the breakdown of friendships. And the devil wants to see that, but when we love the way Jesus loved, it ruins his plans. And maybe you're sitting here today, and you're like, but I'm so afraid of being hurt. I've been hurt. Jesus is not saying, let people walk over you. Jesus drew very clear lines when the Pharisees and, and all those people came at Jesus with their narcissistic intentions, with the opposite of love intentions. But if you're afraid of being hurt by loving, we're going to get hurt sometimes when we love. We will sometimes be disappointed. But what we'll gain is so much more than what we lose. Because when we love, not only do we, the Bible says we put coals of shame on people's heads. So those people who are nasty with us, they feel ashamed. They come to us and suddenly we've got a restored relationship. My marriage is restored. I walk more in the footsteps of Jesus so I feel closer to him than ever before. What we gain through loving the way Jesus loved is so much more than what we can lose. So take the risk. But I want to tell you today, without love becoming a verb, we cannot have healthy relationships. Without grace, we cannot have healthy relationships because you will always be stuck in the mess the other person made. 
Without Jesus, we cannot have healthy relationships because you will always expect people to feel a hole, a fill a hole in your life that only Jesus can. And without love becoming a verb, you cannot have healthy relationships because it will always be about how you feel and about what people can do for you and relationships will fall apart. So here's my goal for the week. What's your goal? This is mine. I choose this week to not love my wife, to not love Abigail, my daughter, to not love my parents and the people in my church and my colleagues and the guys driving in the taxi and who's cutting in front of me. I choose to love everyone that crosses my path this week, not according to the way I feel. Because feelings are sometimes liars, but according to the example of Jesus. I'm going to love them the way Jesus loved them. That's my goal for the week. I won't always get it right, because I'm messy. That's what I'm going to work for. Let's pray. Jesus, sometimes it's hard to love, because it takes so much self-sacrifice, actively choosing to place myself under someone else, to rank myself under someone else. And that's not human. It's not the way the world teaches. But I want to pray today, Lord, that you would teach us how to do this. I want to pray today for every person who's listening to this that might be in a marriage or in a serious relationship. God, I pray that every piece, every piece of loving like the world says will just disappear. That offensiveness will disappear. That fight will disappear. Because we, they choose to put the other person first, to love the way Jesus loved. I pray that you will fix marriages through your love. I pray for father-child relationships, for friendships, for, for work relationships. Lord, there's so many more people that we need to love. It's, the definition is so much wider than just my husband or my wife. But I pray every person you send across our path that we have a relationship with, that we would love them the way Jesus loved us, unselfishly. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.